Nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Alex Ewell, and welcome to a new season of The Readback. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that we created the show in order to explore past predictions and how they've turned out. Well, there's one prediction that's been stuck in my mind for a long time. The one that said machines would be driving us around by now. Any tests today? Yeah. Which one? Oh, Spanish? No. Social studies. You ready? Yeah. If we ever got there. Every morning, I rush to drive my older daughter five minutes to school, and then I turn around to take my younger one ten minutes in the opposite direction. I treasure the quality time with my children, but it could be so much better if I wasn't also dealing with the gridlock, lights, and the stress of being late. My routine is a daily reminder. The future isn't here yet. Since the beginning of the 20th century, there have been big plans for cars that could drive themselves. Humans long ago were supposed to have been supplanted at the wheel. What could be more frustrating than wasting time stuck in traffic? But imagine a future where you could read a book while a computer takes the wheel. Researchers call them smart cars, and they could give the phrase backseat driver a whole new meaning. That's from the 1990s, but autonomous technology has been splashed all over film and pop culture for much longer, from Herbie to Minority Report. I grew up watching Knight Rider and longed for my own self-driving kit. I am the voice of Knight Industry 2000's microprocessor, K-I-T-T for easy reference, a kit if you prefer. But now it seems technology has finally caught up to TV. The new round of hype around real autonomous vehicles started about a decade ago. It even crept into my reporting for Barron's Magazine, including my stories about the stock market. And back in 2013, investing guru Rick Edelman made a prediction that really hit home. No question about it. And you have a son, you said. Daughter. A daughter, age three. Odds are high she will never drive an automobile. She'll never drive. She just never will. So two separate issues there on longevity. What happens to the world of life? Never drive an automobile. For years, I've pondered that thought. On the one hand, I mourn my daughter's lost rite of passage. On the other, I felt relief knowing I'd miss those teeth-clenching moments sitting in the passenger seat as my 16-year-old learned to make a left turn at a busy intersection. But it was never just about my daughter. Not even close. Rick was imagining a totally different world. One where you'd never park a car or run an errand. The car would do it all. I spent the next few years preoccupied with those ideas. And they seemed to gain steam. Analysts, automakers, tech firms, and even insurance executives all agreed self-driving cars were on their way. And soon. In 2016, Google spun out its project as a separate company called Waymo. Uber says it plans to resume its on-street testing in San Francisco and Toronto by the end of the year. Eventually, they all settled around a common goal. 2020 would be the year self-driving became reality. Elon Musk, not surprisingly, led the way. 
The visionary founder of Tesla has been working towards selling cars that can not just pick you up in a parking lot, but can eventually drive you all the way home. After spending 10 years proclaiming that self-driving was only two to three years away, he had this to say at Tesla's annual meeting in 2019. If you buy a gasoline car that's not full self-driving, this is like riding a horse and using a flip phone. Musk will be a recurring character throughout our season. In the world of self-driving, he's notorious, a person everyone talks about without ever mentioning his name. You take a look at the industry now, you take a look at all the automakers, and they're pretty much all on the same page, with maybe the exception of one person. Much more on Musk to come this season. I'm often skeptical of big technology predictions. I've heard a lot of them over the years. But I was actually on board with the self-driving hype. Two years after my conversation with Rick Edelman, I bought a new SUV from Honda that was able to steer itself on the highway. Sure, it required the perfect conditions and was mostly a party trick. The car was aware of its own limitations, too. It started buzzing if you took your hands off the wheel for more than a few seconds. But it was cool, and I thought a sign of rapidly advancing technologies. If this car in 2015 could steer even for a few seconds, driving me all the way home surely couldn't be that far off. But six years later, an eternity in the tech world, I still have that same car and no reason to upgrade. Yet again, reports of driving's death have been greatly exaggerated. 2020 was supposed to be the year of automation. That's Kristen Kolaj, the executive director of driver interaction research for J.D. Power. The name J.D. Power might be familiar. The company collects consumers' opinions on cars, from how people feel about the interior to whether they like new features. Anyway, what Kristen focuses on is how people are using and how they feel about new automotive technology. When you look back at different industry leaders and their proclamations dating back to 2015, 2016, there were very strong promises that they would be ready, roadworthy, and in some cases on sale by 2020. So that date has since come and gone. But it's not just that we didn't have self-driving cars by 2020. The year became something of an inflection point for the technology and not just because of the pandemic. In December, Uber announced it was getting rid of its self-driving business. The company is uh, selling its self-driving unit, Advanced Technologies Group, to Aurora Innovation, the self-driving company founded by former Waymo engineer Chris Urmson. We'll be talking with Chris Urmson this season. It's hard to underestimate the sharp turn Uber was making here. This is the company that had once pinned its future on robotic drivers. But now, Uber had realized it needed help to make self-driving a reality. A lot of help. And Uber wasn't the only one. Its rival Lyft followed last spring. It's just announced that it is going to sell its autonomous driving unit to Toyota for $550 million. Remember that both ride-sharing companies here in the United States, Lyft, and Uber have been trimming expenses. So you're seeing certainly some consolidation in the self-driving car space. This time, it is Lyft. Even Elon Musk had partially changed his tune. On a call with investors back in April, he had this to say. This is definitely one of the hardest technical problems that's maybe ever existed. So here we were. Instead of racing down the highway hands-free, 
it felt like we were still stuck in first gear. In reality, we've been stuck there for a long time, like the entire century-plus existence of the automobile. Alex Davies, who wrote a book called Driven about the race to create autonomous vehicles, says that people have been trying to make a self-driving car from the moment the car itself was invented. Right from the start, when people are talking about self-driving vehicles, there's a lot of optimism, but the reality of actually making that happen is a lot harder to deliver on. The first big attempt at autonomy came in 1925, when a radio-controlled vehicle named the American Wonder cruised up Broadway and down Fifth Avenue in the middle of New York City. Then, in 1939, the stakes were raised again. The metropolis of today. New York City, 1939. A blend of yesterday and today, with its buildings and streets... Out at Flushing Meadows Corona Park in Queens, 44 million people came to what became a must-see attraction. The New York World's Fair. It has been calculated... With the slogan, Dawn of a New Day, the fair's focus was on the future, promising visitors a look at the world of tomorrow. And all the way back in 1939, there were people envisioning a future with autonomous vehicles. The most popular exhibit at this fair was called Futurama. It was sponsored by General Motors, and it presented this world of 1960. And it said, this is what the future of driving looks like. The exhibit, designed by Norman Belgettis, imagined a modern expressway system where cars followed a guardrail that controlled their position on the road. Safe distance between cars is maintained by automatic radio control. Curved sides assist the driver in keeping his car within the proper lane under all circumstances. The keynote of this motorway, safety. Safety with increased speed. Of course, by 1960, we had absolutely nothing that looked like what was presented 20 years earlier, except maybe for the highways, except they were full of traffic instead of free of traffic. It was the first of countless blown deadlines in the journey toward autonomous vehicles. So why has there been a century of getting the same thing wrong over and over again? The answer to that question could help us break the cycle. We got 99% of the way there a long time ago, but the challenge is all about that last 1%. That's Austin Russell. He's the CEO of Luminar, a newly public company that's among the leading players in a new sensor technology known as LiDAR. It promises to give self-driving cars the long-distance vision they need to overcome some of the remaining roadblocks. You'll hear a lot more about both LiDAR and Luminar this season. For now, I'll just point out that Russell is only 26 years old. He founded Luminar while a student at Stanford. What he's lacking in experience, though, could be made up for with fresh ideas. Russell isn't weighed down by decades of failed attempts at self-driving. It's all about that last 1%, all those different edge cases, all the things that don't happen every day, like an object on the road, you know, a kid that runs out in the street chasing after a ball, dead stop traffic, whatever it may be. Russell knows 99% needs to be a lot more like 99.99999%. One of the really big questions here is, how many nines do you need? That's Alex Davies again, who says a new pragmatism has finally entered the self-driving debate. Everyone knows we're close. 
But now everyone seems to realize that in a life-or-death situation, close isn't anywhere near close enough. If these things are out there en masse, you're going to have crazy accidents all the time. If 1% of situations causes an accident, especially since the problem with human drivers is so obvious. We kill something like 40,000 Americans on U.S. roads every year. How many nines do you actually need to say this car is safe enough? Because we know it's never going to be 100. And just like any technology, humans know how to accept, for the most part, that things break on occasion. Things don't always work perfectly, and you have to build that risk in. The way you have to think about it is not, can this car handle absolutely everything, but can this car handle everything in the environment that I'm going to put it into? Right now, in Phoenix, Arizona, Waymo, the Google spinoff, is attempting to test just that. Waymo's car service has been live for all of us to use since October. For about the same cost as an Uber or Lyft, you can hail a driverless car and take a ride. The trick is that Waymo is doing everything in a controlled setting. Think the desert. No rain, snow, or unexpected weather. It's like putting a self-driving car inside a fish tank. Everyone is safe, while the rest of us look in without getting wet. For companies like Waymo, and yes, Tesla, who are pushing the envelope, it hasn't been a smooth ride. Every accident involving any form of self-driving technology now gets extreme scrutiny. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, also known as NHTSA, is investigating Tesla for a series of fatalities in which its self-driving features were activated. And those features are still the basic ones. No one is sitting in the backseat of a self-driving Tesla yet. Self-driving is laying bare the bumpy path of innovation. Eventually, we reach a fork in the road. And that's where we are now. The next few years will determine self-driving's fate. I think that in 15 years, if you want to get a ride in a self-driving vehicle and you're in a relatively dense urban environment, you'll be able to. Closer to a 10-year type of realm, This is how we're going to see this technology realized over this decade, not with the original vision that people had. And and we'll get there. We'll, We'll get there. When it comes to major transformations, innovation isn't inevitable. For every iPhone, there's the flying car and hoverboard. Self driving cars are now caught in between. They have the potential to transform the world or fall into some future cartoon memory of our lives. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about what it's going to take to get there and how autonomous vehicles could revolutionize the world, remaking our cities and highways while saving countless lives along the way. We'll talk to the regulators considering new rules, the skeptics trying to apply the brakes, and the people and companies blazing a new path. Everything is still up for debate, and it will be up to all of us to opt in for the ride. Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back for our new season. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadback at Thanks to Rick Edelman, 
Kristen Kolaj, Alex Davies, and Austin Russell. For more coverage on self-driving, you can check out Barron's.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Additional thanks to Meta Lutzhoft and Jackson Cantrell. Next week on the show, the Department of Defense sponsors an autonomous race with a million-dollar prize. You could trace the entire history of the modern self-driving car movement back to this catastrophic event in the Mojave Desert. How that fiasco gave way to an entire industry. We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.